Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. If you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, that's because you're either listening live and you are in the chat room, and we thank you for that, or you've happened upon a pre-edit copy of the Scoob Obsessed Netcast. Come back in a few hours, and we will have an edited version already for you. Scoob Obsessed Weekly Talk... Uh, gosh. Scoob Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scoob Obsessed episode 315 is recorded live January 19th, 2017. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the unseasonably warm state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I am doing very well, thank you. And how about yourself? I am doing great. We also have Kevin Ailes joining us this week. How are you doing today, Kevin? You are certainly welcome. And once again, we want to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have Dave Toneman, Eric Roloff, uh, Sam uh, S. Nelson. I, I almost said Sam. I don't know if that's who that is. And there's a few other guests in there. So we certainly appreciate it. That is the first time, week in a long time we've had the, tap, the chat room fully functioning. So that's great to see. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up from last week. Last week we had an interview with, uh, oh gosh. That was Terrence Lysenko. That was Terrence Yep, uh, from AT Recovery. And we certainly appreciate having him on the show. Uh, we recorded about five minutes after the interview just to kind of close up and do our normal closing remarks and the bad joke. And the audio stopped recording right after the interview. So luckily we made it through the interview, but we didn't get it to the episode. So tonight we're working. We have, you know, five audio streams going. We have the chat room going, you know, knock on wood as they're saying in the chat room, uh, making sure everything works and we will continue on. We're, we're doing some additional testing in the background and some new services will be rolling out in the next few weeks. And we thank you for that. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. This week, the uh, let's see, the first article we have up is uh, Man Dies at Treacherous Eagle Nest Cave Diving Site in Wikiwachi, which I'm probably slaughtering that name as, as I'm known to do. Uh, Eagle's Nest Cave Diving Sites claimed another life, authorities say. Uh, Charles Odom, 55, of Trinity, died while diving the sinkhole on Sunday. Fernando County Sheriff's Office spokeswoman Denise Maloney said Monday, Odom arrived at Eagle's Nest Sunday morning before 10 a.m. with three other divers, Kevin Laura, 33, St. Petersburg, Evan May, 33, of Brandon, and Christopher Jones, 29, of Plantation. Maloney said, after experiencing difficulty with his gear, May stayed behind while the other three descended through a narrow tunnel into a cave network below After the group explored the cave 
famed ballroom, a cavernous underwater chamber. Maloney said Laura and Jones noticed Odom had gone limp at the depth of about 100 feet. They floated in the surface where they ascended more slowly to properly decompress. May, who had been loading his gear in a truck, saw Odom's body float to the surface. May was pulled him out of the water, but Odom was unresponsive. He's pronounced dead at the scene by first responders. Eagle's Nest is a... What was that? Shasahowitsa uh, Wildlife Management Area, a few miles north of Wiki Spring State Park. The underwater caves are known for in the diving circles, the Grand Canyon for their stunning view, extreme depths, and remote location. Before Sunday, at least 10 divers have died there since 1981. In 2013, the father and son drowned during a Christmas Day excursion. In October, two divers from Fort Lauderdale died when they failed to resurface during an outing in the spring. They're found near each other in about 260 feet of water in a complex area of the cave system. The site was closed to divers from 1999 to 2003. Investigators will check Odom's drive, dive gear and computer for malfunctions. Maloney said an autopsy will be conducted. We've we've gone through this many yeah. times before, and we covered the uh, father and son one on Christmas back in the day. Uh, well, I, I, there's like 260 comments on this one, and one of the first ones I looked at I thought was very good, and I'm going to read that for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. said, there's a difference between experienced divers and cave divers. First, you get a cavern certification. Then you take basic cave, and your gear really changes. Then you take the apprentice cave certification. Then you get a cave certification. There are seven more certifications after that. Just because you log thousands of open water time in no way prepares you to enter an underwater cave. I went as far as basic cave changed up all my gear, bought more gear. First time out on my own, my buddy left me. I did everything I could to get his attention, flashed the light, tapped on the tank with my knife, used an underwater air horn, nothing. I immediately turned around, surfaced, and it's a sad thing. I believe there, is only, there has only ever been one cave rescue. All the others have been recovery. I wonder if all the other dead cavers were certified for caves, but can't not find the statistics. And the other key item, they said, you don't really need it because some people want to put a nanny gate over it. They just uh-huh. said, there's no need for a nanny gate, just a clear notice, just like the one that's already posted. If people are well informed, why not let them assume and manage their own risk? Why do we feel government authority must stop them? That's a good point. I'm not sure why we feel that we need to keep other people from hurting themselves. Well, some of the comments are very good. Now, this gentleman here I thought was really good. He says, there are those people who can dive it with relative safety, and therefore it should remain open. When people who aren't competent go in and die, sucks to be them. But they made the choice. How many people have died in car accidents on their way to do a cave dive? What's the difference between dying from a cave, a car accident, while on a trip you didn't need to make, or dying in a cave? Any rescues or recoveries should be, and apparently are, totally voluntary. If you don't feel safe in going in, it's really simple. Don't go in. Divers have a saying, if you can call off the dive at any point, including in the beginning and for any reason. No one is under any obligation to attempt a rescue or recovery or even dive it. But some divers did so here 
you know, should mean they felt competent to do so, wanted to clean up their cave, good for them. Therefore, Eagle's Nest should be kept open, leave the Grim Reaper sign up, let everyone make up their own mind about what risk they want to take. We all do so every day, whether we know it or not. I think those pretty much sum it up for myself. Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. I'm just curious if people in the chat room have comments or what kind of concerns they would have. I just don't see blocking it off again like they say they want to do because people hurt themselves there or die. Yeah, and that's is probably that why, why I – go ahead. Is that why it was closed from 99 to uh, 2003? Right. They thought it was dangerous. And it can be. It, it's interesting, yeah. you know, when the government wants us to assume risk and when they don't want us to assume risk. There's a well, – I'll get on the political kick a little later, but not this one. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've got plenty of ammunition. <laughs> Uh, but the chat room, uh, you know, we had one, some comments said uh, legislating the fun away. Uh, it should be illegal to stick your foot under a lawnmower, too. Now, uh, Darwin was right. Uh, not true, Ed. Uh, Sorensen has at least five cave rescues that I know of. So I think he's responding to uh, that uh, there's only one cave rescue. But you got to admit, it's got to be hard because, one, they have to remember or acknowledge we have a problem, get to the surface, then somebody else has to gear up and get back down and have an idea which way to go. So right. I, I can see it's going to be very, very hard. Yeah, it, it takes a lot of planning on both sides to be able to execute a cave rescue. That, that lawnmower item really gets me back when I was teaching industrial safety, we had an example of where a father and son went to the store and they bought a lawnmower. And they came home and they took off the protective guard for it. They took off the handle that would, you let go of the handle, you know, the, the mower quits. They bypassed yeah. that so the lawnmower would stay on. Then they took the handle off with the lawnmower running. They both picked up the lawnmower, one on each side, and proceeded to put it over their hedges to mow their hedges. They did proceed to do damage to their hands, and when the EMTs, police, and fire rescue showed up, um, they were a bit embarrassed because people were laughing at them. They wound up suing the fire department, the EMTs, the police, for creating mental distress because they were laughing at them because they were stupid enough to bypass all the safety <laughs> items and cut their freaking fingers. And they won the case. I do not understand that. Oh, oh goodness. Yeah, the the winning is bad because I, I would have to say if I had been one of the individuals there, I'd... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It didn't... It didn't yeah. <laughs> Crazy. It's hard to believe people can be that stupid. Yeah. Well, that's why we've got all the warning labels on everything you buy. Oh, man. That that first manual that you open the box up and then you throw away as soon as you get, that's the, <laughs> the one they're required to, to put do in. Do you there. read the manual? I, I do. My, that was something that was, uh, I think I've told the story before, but that used to be the thing my dad would make you do. Every Christmas, you get all these really cool gifts, 
And then you'd go and you'd rip open the box and you'd want to go and put the thing together. And he goes, have you read the manual yet? And he wouldn't let you play with it till you had read the manual entirely. But uh, it was a good thing. And then I now, when I get something new, I read the manual. The manual, including the safety instructions. Maybe not for a toaster. I think I figured out that you don't put a fork in the toaster. And more than once. No. <laughs> it tickles. Yeah, don't try this at home. Um, okay, the next article up is Flying Cloud Shipwreck Found Off SA Coast After 147 Years Under the Sea. The remains of the Flying Cloud Shipwreck is found off the southeast South Australian coast have been discovered. Shipwreck hunter, 19-year-old Carl von Schnake, Stank, S-T-A-N-K-E, was diving near Carpenter Rocks on Saturday with his friend, 20-year-old Santiago Newman, when the pair spotted unusual formation encrusted with seaweed on the ocean floor. At first, I didn't know what it was, said Mr. Newman. I, was, I just saw this very straight rock and thought, that might be something. So I called Carl over. The pair had stumbled across an anchor chain, tethering two main anchors to the old ship. Surprisingly, the chain was pulled taut after decades of battering by ocean currents. It was very exciting to find. The amount of time we've been looking for it has finally paid off. There wasn't much left. It has a lot to do with deterioration in the water. It was a foggy night in April 1870 when the sugar-laden brig struck trouble hitting a reef near Cape Banks. The captain, his wife, and child, and six crew were safely able to reach shore in boats, leaving the ship at the mercy of the ocean. One of more than 200 vessels to be wrecked and lost in South Australian waters between 1837 and 1924. The Flying Cloud is the fourth shipwreck that the young diver ever played a role in locating, including the Iron Age, Lotus, and the Hawthorne. Hard work's paid off. Four years of painstaking research has gone into the hunt for the Flying Cloud. Cloud, Mr. Von Stank, uh, scouring old newspapers, reports, and history books to pinpoint where the remains might lie. It's a lot of work and research that goes into it. First of all, you have to look at the location is like. Does it have a lot of reefs, deep water, or shallow? What was the weather like at the time? You go back, old books, newspapers, see what they say. Times change, and everything changes around it. What was there 150 years ago is definitely not going to be there now. Over the years, Mr. Von Stank uh, narrowed his research down to three square kilometers, saying he had a hunch where the remains might be. Upon finding it, the first person to hear the good news was Mr. Von Stank's father, Gary Von Stank, a man whose keen interest in shipwrecks and local history himself. He called me and said, I found it, Dad, I found it. Uh, Mr. Von Stank said his son became fascinated with shipwrecks when he was just a little boy and they went on to become an important part of his teenage years. Shipwrecks became a passion for him. He was always at the library researching, going through old papers. The state's heritage unit, which documents and documents and manages state's shipwrecks, had made numerous visits to try and locate the wreck in previous years, along with Flinders University research. Divers may have stumbled upon the wreck earlier, but due to significant decay and coverage by marine life, might not have been aware of what it was. For their own reasons, maybe a couple of able divers found it and kept quiet. A lot of older ones have passed on, so the history has unfortunately been lost. And the article goes on. Uh, excellent find. 
Yeah, it's pretty cool that someone so young, this is his fourth wreck he's found, too. Yeah, no. it, yeah exactly. The he's, only, he's, only, he's only 19 years old, and this is number four for him. He, he's kind of a veteran now. It's good for him. Well, he's been diving since he was, what, um, nine years old? Yeah. For diving 10 years? Yeah. yeah. It helps it to is. live in Shipwreck Alley, too, though. Yeah. Well, and he's been doing the research, and he looks. I mean, that there it is. I mean, yeah, he got to find the chain. You know, he's looking for things that aren't natural. I mean, that, that's a lot what of we research. Always... Like, like somebody else I know spends a lot of time in the libraries. Hmm. Well, that's where you get the best information. So, you sure seem to like a lot of librarians. I think that might have something to do with it. <laughs> Some of them are pretty cute too. Well, if you want to get any original information, you're going to go go to the library to get it and do a lot of digging. You can find quite a bit online, enough to kind of narrow down your search. But if you want to do any original searching, you're going to have to uh, get information which you dug up yourself, not stuff which someone else found and posted online, because they already sifted through that. And then we have an article that is talking about Pensacola. Uh, Visit Pensacola is celebrating discovery of a third, six, third 16th century shipwreck from Tristan de Luna's Spanish fleet in Pensacola. Pensacola has long been a tourist mecca for Florida's Gulf Coast. What most people don't know is that the first tourists to set foot on the shores weren't really tourists, but they were conquerors. In 1559, a hardened group of Settlers landed in present-day Pensacola, led by Spanish conquistador Don Trista de Luna. The group included 1,500 soldiers, colonists, enslaved African and Aztec Indians who traveled 11 ships from Veracruz, Mexico, to Pensacola to begin the Spanish colonization of the northern Gulf Coast. The town they founded would become the first multi-year European settlement in North America, it would have been the first permanent settlement had the hurricane not scuttled ships and destroyed settler supplies a mere five weeks later, dooming the expedition to failure. Uh, the settlement lasted from 1559 to 1561, which predates Spanish settlement in St. Augustine by six years and English settlement in Jamestown, Virginia by 48 years. In October 2016, the University of West Florida Archaeological Program, which consisted of a select group of 13 full-time professor, professional archaeologists, nine support staff, and numerous graduate students announced the discovery of a third shipwreck from the Spanish expedition that brought Luna to Pensacola in 1559. Buried in the sand, just seven feet of water in Pensacola Bay, the manual point three was discovered by UWF summer field school students while scuba diving. We chose a shallow spot with a sandy bottom to dive to give students a break after you've been in another part of the bay where it was deeper and darker. This according to Greg Cook, uh, assistant professor of anthropology at WMF. We thought we were probably wasn't anything there, but we found an anomaly where we surveyed 
and decided to let the students have fun investigating it. Within two minutes, the divers came up and said they felt stones with their probes. Later in the afternoon, the first artifacts were found. I say, you know, this shouldn't be easy. The UWF team discovered the bow stones, iron con- concretions, and the articulated hull of a manual .3 galleon, including frames and hull planking, as well as the remnants of ceramic it once carried. Manual 3 discovered comes less than one year after UWF archaeologists identified trestle site of Luna Colony in a developed neighborhood in the Bay, making the earliest European settlement in the U.S. Discoveries made at the site of Luna Settlement signify that three shipwrecks discovered in Pensacola Bay were wrecked at the anchorage site for the entire Luna fleet. Manual Point 1 was discovered in 1992 by the Florida Bureau of Archaeological Research. Manual Point 2 was found in UWF in 2007. Three ships still remain undiscovered in the bay, but Emanuel Point 3 is the newest place to puzzle as the UWF team searches for answers to a nearly 500-year-old mystery. So these aren't the actual names of the boats. These are just uh, you know, points. It's a manual point three, a manual point two, manual point one. That's just a location of a wreck. Have they done anything as far as actually identifying the individual wrecks? Uh, I mean, they're pulling up artifacts. Uh, they have markers. Um, the three shipwrecks are still being actively researched and not open to visitors. Um, yeah, they don't they don't say a whole lot more than that. Mm-hmm. So these are just individual sites of wrecks. We don't know which which ones they are. No. No, I don't I don't think they necessarily know either. Uh, Still, it's cool that they're finding these up out there, and kind of sounds like they're using techniques like we use in the river when they're talking about using probes in the bottom to find to find the ballast stones. In seven yeah. foot of water, that's got to be pretty beat up after 500 years. You'd think so. Look at some of the photos they have in there. Boy, everybody's young. I was looking at the, the title, and I was looking how they would rewrite that in another couple of years, where they said, a hardened group of settlers. Well, if you, if you go on somebody else's property and you take it from them, I'm not sure that's settling. <laughs> Oh, yeah. conquerors. Yeah. What, yeah when you see conquistadors, what is it? Uh, conquistadors. Yeah, that yes. that rhymes to me like, oh, that's warriors type. Yeah, well, they had uh, done their thing in Central America and were just working their way up. I always wonder if there's any gold. I mean, who took the metal detector out there? Would you think there'd be gold or something like that on it? I, you would think so, at least some amount. Yeah, um, but if it's only in seven feet of water, the gold probably was taken off it just when it went down shortly after. It could be. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't, if you couldn't get to it. Well, that's true. If you've got that much of it still after, you know, 500 years, you must have had a lot of structure there when it first went down, so you're probably correct. Yeah, I mean, it probably stuck out of the water quite a bit. I mean, it probably was 
was like it, it just settled to the bottom and you still had the mass and everything coming out of the water and it would have been easy pickings. Yeah, and then anything that would have been a value that you could have reused, uh, you certainly would have picked that stuff back up. Yeah, absolutely. Which explains some of the artifacts, which look mostly like rocks. They do have a few pieces of metal they're holding in their hands. Now, the the ballast stones, I presume, in this first picture here we're looking at, um, there's a item down there I think was to indicate scale. It's got that little checkerboard pattern. Uh, do either of you know how big that is? I mean, how, how big are these stones? Do we know? Well, I'm. let me see if I can zoom in. It says CM on the scale, so I'm guessing that each of the square blocks is a centimeter. Oh, okay. Is that possible, or is it? You see, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Maybe that whole length is a centimeter. If you if you see the buttons at the bottom, and you go to button number four, it's a blurry picture on mine. But is that a picture of one of the stonies holding? Let's see. Oh, on the left. Ah, I, that might be. I, yeah, that would make sense. You wouldn't want it to be gravel. You'd want it to be somewhat big. Well, like you said, you used to make it the size that you could easily take it off. So anything bigger than a bowling ball is going to be really heavy if you're trying to unload a lot. And yeah. if it's pebbles, it's going to take so long to get it. So it's in between, I think, is what they used to do. Yeah, so about the size of your fist, which would kind of correspond to what he's holding. Yeah. That's about the same right. size as what you found in uh, Gull Lake? Uh, the ones in Gull Lake were kind of like in between like quarter and silver dollar size. Um, but it still it could also be ballast might, stones, though. Yeah, it also might depend on where you are as to what the predominant easily accessible stone is. And that's True. absolutely correct. Well, it also might depend upon somewhat on the size of the boat, too. The the one there in Gull Lake, I'm thinking maybe they were small because it was a smaller boat and they wanted a, a denser amount of ballast stones, but I'm not even sure those, those are ballast stones. I haven't, you know, I've, I've got to see boards before I'm sure that it's part of a boat down there. So, But, yeah, I think you're right, Mac. They look to be about this size in this boat. And then the next one we have is cold freshwater of the North America's Great Lakes preserves everything from schooners to steamships, which is something that we have seen examples of firsthand. Uh, Nice article. This one is out of divemagazine.co.uk. So those of you over in the UK are getting to see some of the stuff that we can get to dive here. In the Great Lakes, steel drums are well-preserved in crystal clear water. There's typically little or no current on North America's Great Lakes wrecks, and most have at least one mooring buoy for ascents and descents. Invasive quagga mussels have cleaned up the water over the past two decades, resulting in spectacular visibility. Uh, Left is an intact schooner, such as the Kyle, Kyle Spangler have mass standing is 30 meters high with rigging still attached. Neither boats look they're still sailing on the bottom of the lake. Right is Cornelia B. Windy 8, which was thought to have sunk in Lake Michigan 
but more than 100 years after the boat went missing was found on Lake Huron. I'm sorry, Mac. I, I was going to say the pictures on that, if we don't show the people, those are outstanding pictures. That boat of the Wingate they're showing there, you figure that boat, that picture is at 185 feet. The 136-foot vessel at 185 feet, that's an absolutely gorgeous picture. It's an amazing picture, and you, you can tell they color-corrected the heck out of it. They get it like yeah. that because it's really yeah, bright-looking. They, they definitely have done quite a bit with the contrast on it, you can tell. But, uh, you know, if, if the data is there, then it, it's, it's it's a fair picture. I mean, it's not like they've, uh, you know, oh, done anything. Oh, it's not doctored. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 this has not been Photoshopped. It's just, just been cleaned up a little bit. But, yeah, this yeah, they, is uh, – but to look at the boat, you know, in the in the picture here, you're seeing – you know, the, the photographer is clearly quite a ways off the stern, you know, at least 50 feet off the stern to have that picture. And looking forward, you're seeing at least two, kind of the silhouette, almost maybe a third mast up there. I mean, definitely over 100 foot visibility is what I'm saying here. It's, it's I mean, this is a fabulous visibility on this wreck. Of course, they're, they're very deep, too. You said, what, what 170 there, Mac? Yeah, I forgot what I just said, but yeah, so it was, yeah, it was 185, I thought it was. Yeah, and and that I didn't realize that there was a little on the Windy 8 that there's that uh, looks like a lifeboat. Yeah, right off the side. Yeah, this lane right there. And to have something like that survive that amount of time is amazing as well. Yeah, well, the that, next, that's, that's... Go ahead. I was going to say, the next picture you're showing there is of the Kyle Spangler, that's also... That's a 130-foot ship, and that's an 185-foot. Mm-hmm. And and it looks very similar to the other one, but like you were saying, the clarity is outstanding. But but back to this Windy 8 photo here, you can see how that boat is laying down there by the, by the rudder. Um, if you go to the Alpena Museum, there's a uh, museum, a shipwreck museum right there in, the, in Alpena done by NOAA. Um, they have a replica of this in there. Now they have a different name on it, but the ship which they used to make an interpretive shipwreck within the museum is the the Cornelia Windiate. And they have the lifeboat placed there just like you're seeing here even on on, on that replica. So yeah, they have a a replica. It's uh, basically it shows a shipwreck in various stages in the Alpena Museum, from being on the surface to being broken down to just ribs and keel. Very cool display if you get up there. That Daniel Morrell, which is your next one there, is that really as shallow as they said it is? Dirt out uh, of 24 meters? Yeah, 24 meters, with it's about 75 feet, and then goes no, down to 60. Five meters. I think you're right, Mac. I think it's quite a bit deeper than 65 meters is 180 feet, 190 feet. So um, why would they put such a range? Are they talking about maybe the, the top? Is there a part of it that might be at? That would be awful high, but you know, like you said, 190 feet, but you're you're still off the bottom. But uh, I still think you're in tech range on that one. That that might be a typo. It is a huge range, and it doesn't look like it's on an incline. And everybody on that boat got rebreathers, too. 
or it sure looks yeah. like they do. No, no, actually, uh, that's not the typo. The typo is in the bottom picture. Typo shipwreck is in the bottom picture. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, oh. Oh, okay, I, I got you now. Wow. <laughs> it, it took me a little bit. I'll, bl- I'll blame the cold medicine. <laughs> all right, all right. These are some fabulous pictures, though. They are. They they picked some good ones to go in the article. Well, Thunder Bay is a wonderful place. Well, you know, and we're we're dealing with pictures here by you know Becky Kagan Scott. I mean, she 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 knows her stuff. She's been doing this a little while, and she's even got a technique here down, which you can tell with how she lights things up like this and photographs the light, not the boat. These are great pictures. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, the engine department's a nice shot. Oh, that that is. That, is that the one? Uh, let's see. What is this? Is that the morale there? Yeah. So beautiful. It's, that's what really drew me to this article. There wasn't a lot of new information on but certainly worth it for the photos. And I bet you can get uh, copies of these as print. You know, and... and- and this is a, you know, a magazine aimed at the United Kingdom. I understand. Um, yeah. No, I'm sure for them this is all new information to, to us. You know, we're we're somewhat oh, yeah. familiar with most of these here, so it, it's it's kind of old hat to us. But I mean, yeah, great pictures. But I'm sure that it's turning some heads over there in the UK. Yeah, come on over. They 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 don't get wrecks like this over there. I mean, when you're in salt water, you know, these wooden hulls are gone within a century. Uh, you know, they do have some pretty intact stuff as we've seen in the Baltic over there, but most of what's over there is uh, not diveable. So what we have here, hey, lucky us. We're, we're, just, we're just so spoiled over here, but we got enough to share. Yeah, if you guys want to come dive, come dive too. I was looking at the, uh, I just sent two links to the Thunder Bay NOAA site. And they've got more pictures of these things that we're looking at. And they're, the pictures are just awesome. And you're right. I mean, that last one, the typo, it's just sitting mm-hmm. there right there on the bottom, like no damage to the bow. Yeah, here we I go. don't see a picture of the stern yet, but it looks like you could just bring it up and it would it'd float. Yeah, length 137 feet, beam 26 feet. Depth is 155. That's a, that's a good one. That's a, that's a good one right after you get some of your tech certification to go and do stay, a dive on. Stay on top of the mast and you're okay for techie or for a little I've heard for, that, but that, that would just be teasing you, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah you just and then you say, well, I'm just going to bounce it. <laughs> bounce it. Beautiful wrecks here. And here we, we get to gloat over in Europe with our Great Lakes wrecks. Yeah. Let's see. We have the Lady Luck Pompano. Um, this is the latest addition to the Shipwreck Park Pompano. Cluster shipwrecks in the coast of Pompano Beach, centerpiece of the Lady Luck, a 324-foot tanker. I think we've talked about this one before, haven't we? Is this the one that had the 
<clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, yeah. This is another one I covered because of all the photos. So now that you can see that it's uh, been down there a little bit. It was sunk in July 23rd, 2016. Some of his artwork is quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, this this had quite a few more photos than we had seen originally. I wouldn't mind diving that wreck, though. There's a lot of structure there. Look how big that wreck is. That's a pretty good size one. And then they put some interesting stuff on it. And Yeah, but you've got that many shipwrecks down there that they've placed. you got to do something to draw people to the new one. So it's a 320-foot tanker. What I wouldn't do to get one of those up here in the Great Lakes. Especially local. I posted yeah. another picture for you. Uh, it's a shipwreck park, but it's um, a silhouette shot of the Lady Luck. That's a lot of boat. 324 feet. I'd like to dive that one. Yeah, let's see here. I'm going through it. I, I pasted it in the chat room so people can follow along at uh, shipwreckparkpompano.org. Oh, that one I just sent you? You yeah. go to the bottom and it's got all the pictures of it before it was sunk and it was cleaned up. That is a big boat. Lots of stuff to look at. 300 and some feet. But this this is it. This is what I, again, if you know a rich person who's got a boat and they this is what we want to do. Imagine how many people you could bring to the area with this. Oh, yeah. Well, all of those figures, I thought they put them on the wreck, but they put them on before they sunk it. Yes. Yeah, they, uh, they put it on. These are really nice. Yeah. And I like the theme. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's kind of an interesting theme there. They have uh, you know, they, some artists fabricated, uh, looks like a giant slot machine and so you have a lot of different photo ops. That one would be nice. I can I can tell you now. I'd love to dive that wreck. Now is that one a statue in dive gear? Uh, let me go uh, back down. I was photo at the fifty-three of fifty-three. See the dice dive. table. Hard to tell. Yeah. The very very bottom photo, all the way in the left. What number photo? Fifty-three of fifty-three. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm not getting them showing that far up yet. So. I just yeah. see two fish on pulleys. By a lady luck sign. Uh, yeah, this that is the is... one. Yeah, the, the two fish this on pulleys is, is 52 which, of 53. This is oh, one which uh, Billy C. of Scuba uh, yeah. Nation went into a lot yeah, of they, detail on all the work they put into this thing before and after sinking to make it a real dive attraction. They've got 
you know, different, uh, all kinds of gambling attractions on it there with murals and um, slot machines and just a lot of different things that kind of keep that whole gambling theme going on the whole for the whole wreck. Did it say how far offshore it was? Uh, about it said, do not anchor your boat to the ship. One and a half miles off Pompano Beach shore. Okay, yeah, because I said resting in 120 feet, and the stack ranges up to about 50 foot. That would be a very nice dive. Yeah, yeah, very entertaining. A lot, a lot to see down there. I mean, you, you know, this is more than a double dip here. Oh yeah, you could oh, you could yeah. dive this six or seven times, and it looks like they've opened it up pretty well too. Yeah, yeah you'd have to change your batteries in the camera. Yeah. Yeah, maybe this would be a road trip. Let's see, this next one is on that same line. Palm Beach County okays $1 million for sinking sub as an artificial reef. The USS Clamagore is one step closer to final resting place as Florida's only submarine artificial reef. Palm Beach County Commission voted 7-0 to zero on Tuesday meeting to pay Miami firm a $1 million to coordinate the sinking of the 320-foot Gray Ghost of Florida Coast, perhaps as early as this summer, in water about 90 feet deep, a half, one and a half miles off Juno Beach Pier. The sub would be the newest addition to the county's renowned 150-plus piece artificial reef program. Money will come from a county trust fund fed by vessel registration fees. A big point for commissioners, the county doesn't spend a penny unless the private firm that will sink the sub raises additional $3 million it needs and the sinking happens, according to Rob Robbins, director of the county's Department of Environmental Resource Management. So they're spending $4 million at least altogether to sink the submarine. The Klamagor was trained has trained sailors to track Soviet nuclear subs. It was retired in 1975. Since 1981, has been docked at Patriot Point Naval and Maritime Museum near Charleston, South Carolina. Patriot Point said the sub suffers from serious structural fatigue and making it safe would cost about $6 million. Museum signed a deal last spring with Artificial Reefs International, Clemagore, a subsidiary of Miami-based CRB, Geological and Environmental Services, to find a home for it somewhere in the ocean. Total cost for the project to be as much as $4 million, but ARI, Parrot, CRB, and GES has said it plans to raise the balance through sponsorships and other sources. No... Clamagore veterans spoke or attended Tuesdays. Attended Tuesday veterans have previously said they prefer the sub being a museum, but rather see it as a reef than scrap. Robbins conceded the million dollars dedicated to sinking the ship is a lot of money, but he said big artificial reefs off Pensacola and Florida's Keys have been good for tourism, sparking increase in dive trips. Commissioner Hal Valachi asked if organizers were confident that they could raise the over $3 million Robin said ARI has told him that the county is in. The other groups of investors 
are more than halfway there. Yeah, she'd been on display gaining money from people touring it since 1981. And then the maintenance and repairs just got more than they could make on it. So I think it's a good decision to put it down there. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to see it not just scrapped and chopped the bits. Again, that'd be a beautiful thing. I'd love to see in the Great Lakes, even though I know it would be very rare for us to see a submarine yeah. sunk. I know a lot of the vets who served on that were not happy about taking it out there. They wanted it uh, repaired and maintained as a memorial. There's a section I'm most looking at now for U.S. Navy ships, and it was declared to be a irreplaceable part of history. But again, money is what determines what happens quite often. Well, at least with this one to dive on, you will be diving on something that has some real history to it. You know, a lot of these intentionally sunk boats, um, you know, it, it's cool. To, it's a cool dive, but they, they, they lack that historical aspect, you know, um, when it's been, it's been planted there intentionally. This one here, you know, it planted intentionally. There's no arguing that it has quite a bit of historical aspect to it. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to keep all these uh, ships maintained that uh, you've got museums. And you almost need to dry dock them uh, for long-term preservation because if it's sitting in the water, uh, it's just going to continue to have the elements work on it. Well, uh, not think... even sitting in the water. Remember the 505 in Chicago? It's oh, yeah? not in the water anymore, and the maintenance on that one is, is terrific or horrific, yeah. depending on which side of the coin. Yeah, well, that one was sitting outside, so it still had weather. Now they they built a, a dry dock for it. It's inside in a controlled atmosphere, but they spent a huge amount of money uh, redoing that one again. Which leads me back to if they bring up the UC-97, that's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. They they need to put it at the same uh, complex, you know, put it next to it. So you go see the, the World War One sub and then go to the World War Two sub. Yeah, well, that that seems to be the whole you know historical museum area for Chicago. So I'm thinking it'd either be there or maybe at the Field Museum, but it'd be a, you know the same. I like it's Field Museum and uh, Science Center kind of separated pretty good, but I'm sure it'd be one or the other. <laughs> so. Yeah, since we're talking historic items, I mean that's not a underwater ship, but airships, for example. There's over 15,000 P-51 Mustangs generated during the war. There's 150 of them left. Of the 150, I think there's 16 that are actual combat veteran-type aircraft. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting I found out today is over in Benton Harbor in the airport, they have just finished repainting one of those 15. In Benton Harbor? In Benton Harbor. And then he was saying, and as we push that one out the door, we're having one of the last remaining Corsairs brought in to be repainted right here in Benton Harbor. Well, 
how, how is that happening in Benton Harbor? Somebody got some connections? or That's a very nice paint shop they got there for aircraft, and they've got a good reputation. Uh, he was on order to have that done three years ago, and now it's in. Because the guy who has obviously has some money because he just had it totally restored, and mm-hmm. now since it's been restored, they want to do the repainting. And I do not remember if that was one they were using as memorial for the Red Tails. Huh. You know, the Tuskegee Airmen. Yeah. So that also has additional, you know, um, background. And on top of that, we already have a gentleman who owns one sitting in one of the hangars out there. So they have two of the vintage Mustangs and a Corsair at this airport. <laughs> and it's not a museum. That's phenomenal. Well, airships, still ship items. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, we, we do have some of our uh, listeners do like to hear those those stories. Well, that does it for Scuba News. Um, well, I'm thinking of it. We had uh, uh, Vanessa Homiak, uh who is our Nitrox sponsor, uh, donating through Patreon. So if you think the show is at least worth a dollar, why not donate to the podcast? You can visit links on our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Click over to the Patreon links and give us a little bit of money. Uh, any amount is appreciated. $3 or more gives you early access to the show notes and some Patreon-only posts that we do over on that site. Um, Mac, do you have anything you can tell Vanessa about those bottles, if you can remember now? Uh, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I'd have to... We, we, we had well, the one one we sent her was the Hutchie. It had the two stoppers in it, right? And then there was a, clay I think pipe. it was a, uh, you had the clay pipes. There were two of those, and then there was a whiskey. I think it was a whiskey bottle. It was an embossed bottle, uh, Chicago. I think it said on it. I'm not sure which ones you gave her, so I. Could. <laughs> okay, but I'll if it's to... got the two stoppers, I'm quite sure that came out of Pawpaw Lake, mm-hmm. and it was probably lost during the heydays of the Pawpaw, which was basically 1890 to 1925. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll forward you the photo so you can take a look. But uh, I sure. just re- I just remembered as we talked about it. Also, Vanessa had uh, she had messaged me. It's been a couple weeks now because the podcast has been. A little crazy recently. Uh, she was asking. She, I think she's thinking about coming in for the uh, ghost ships. I was wondering. If yes, I was I, looking for my note there to confirm that because I do plan on being there. So, it'd be a great opportunity to meet up with her. Excellent. And then, uh, but diving. I mean, there's always somebody diving. I don't necessarily know if it's that weekend, but uh, maybe she can drop us a line direct. Uh, she can do it at the show. At Scoob Obsessed, or she connects with social media a bunch of other ways, but knows exactly the times you're coming in or going out, and uh, maybe we can connect you up with somebody who's going to be getting in the water. Well, and she can tell who we are because we'll have our colors and our mud jackets, more than likely. And I think, Kevin, you're going to be there too, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I tend to, I'll, I'll hit all three of them. Actually, yeah. four of them. You know, we've got, got ghost ships. We've got uh, Ford Seahorses, which do shipwreck best in uh, Ann Arbor. And we've got uh, Arbold Underwater. 
and then MSRA will do their uh, uh, mysteries and histories. So there are four shows coming up. Oh well, the MSRA are uh, uh, they're doing a presentation, not not they, but Van Heest, Valerie. Uh, mm-hmm. She's doing a presentation at the museum in Paloma on Chip Oh, really? Yes. What's, what's the date on that one? I will have to look up. I get the newsletter from the museum, so uh, just remind me, and I'll look that up and send that to you. Yeah. Dave is saying he's going to be at Shipwreck Fest. Yeah, I think he's – yeah, Dave's kind of a fixture there. It wouldn't be Shipwreck Fest if I didn't see Dave up there. I know that. We do have some nice activities coming up for uh, end of February and March. And what's funny is this is, you know, this, where'd January go? Oh, I know. And, and I am. We had that special stuff this weekend at, at Walsh. Oh, we got the three oh, classes. Yeah. yeah. And I desperately wanted to go. I am just so busy. I can't darn it get away. And it was a, it was a great, I mean, it was just perfect. They were doing the. Uh, Dan, they're doing a CPR course, a Dan uh, Air course in the morning, and then doing a Nitrox course in the afternoon. Yep, it's uh, the first aid CPR, and then there'll be the oxygen provider, and then, like I said, the Nitrox. Yeah, so I'm looking forward uh, to a good refresher day. Yeah, I'm, I'm kicking myself for not being able to do it, but I just too busy and it, it's 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 perfect um just how some things happen i guess oh yeah and the week after that i'm back in chicago to chicago expo and that's for faa so if you're a flyer or something and you're in chicago next saturday is another opportunity to go to some good classes i'm just trying to get a dive in the middle of the week and i think most of the ice is gone <laughs> Yeah. Kevin's got all the good ice dives under his belt already. He's got yeah, a yeah, lot this year already. Yeah, yeah let's, but, let's go but, ahead and talk but, about that. Uh, we'll we'll talk about uh, getting some some diving in. So it's been well, probably three weeks since we've talked about it, and I think Kevin's the really the only one who's gotten all dives in all that time. I don't have we, have we talked to? Did we talk after the the New Year's dive? No, I don't think we've. No, we uh, no, we haven't. Just the way everything fell, we we missed. Uh, a week through technical troubles and uh, last week we had interviews. So yeah, let's, let's go ahead. How did the uh, new year's Eve dive go? Well, the new year's Eve dive started out pretty good because we had gone out that daytime to validate, you know, how much ice did we have? And we had more than we had anticipated. So we did a pre-cut on the hole during the daytime, Uh, went back there that night and it was not bitterly cold at all. It's actually very pleasant. I thought, uh, and we did have, uh, I think it was five in the water. Uh, well, actually, four four divers, one snorkeler. And considering he just turned 15, that's his third time with us. So he's doing pretty darn good for not being a diver diver. And, yeah. But he did have a dry suit on, and he really liked the dry suit, <laughs> as, who, as you who, can well imagine. Who, who gave him a dry suit? Um, Kevin, you remember whose dry suit he was using? I'm thinking it might have been Mary Beth. I'm not sure, though. That's right, because Mary Beth couldn't do because she had that sinus infection. So she had, yeah. Oh. And um, he has got a little taller and a little more meat on his bone, so it seemed to work out for him pretty good. But we had a good time, and it was unusual being able to go to a 
to a, a pond, basically, and dive. We didn't see the koi fish. And we had, what, four inches of ice, I believe we had? Yeah, it was closer to three, closer to three. It was it was kind of dicey there, but, again, it was, it was only five feet deep there, so, you know, it wasn't a huge deal if we went through that. But no one, no one did go through. How many times have we done an actual ice dive where you've cut a triangle uh, for New Year's Eve? For New Year's, it's been a while because we haven't had real good ice. Matter of fact, it has been quite a few years before we've really had good ice. We had to have good line tenders and everything. It's usually been Lake 16 when we have a, a decent ice dive that we go out and do something nice. Yes. No, but that was a good place for it. It was a nice, easy access and plenty of parking, and it worked out well for all. I mean, uh, if we have you know, conditions like that in the future, I hope we can use it again. So we had that dive. What other dives have we been able to get in? Well, we're calling Kevin the recovery man. So, so what are you recovering? Bodies or um, just just cell phones? Um, cell most, phones. Mostly, mostly working cell phones, even. But um, no, I've just been getting the call to go out to you know, ice fishermen. I'll send them down through the hole. I, maybe they're checking the reception down there. I don't know, but. Uh, Got called on three of them. I uh, found the first two. The first one, um, an iPhone 7, um, was amazing. Came out of the water working. The iPhone 7, I guess, has a um, waterproof skin on it, which has now been tested at 11 feet for 15 hours, and it, and it still works. <laughs> so an iPhone uh, 7, 15 feet, 7 hours. Uh, or uh, No, uh, 11 feet. For 15 hours, oh, and it still worked. Yeah, the battery was almost dead on it, but uh, there was a lot of lot of video and pictures taken of it. Actually, uh, I've got a picture on my Facebook of um, the young man uh, Jordan who owned the phone. Um, you know, I I put I stuck it out of the hole, and apparently the seven turns on when it gets rotated, and there's a video clip floating around out there of it actually coming out of the hole and turning on. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was like, there were like five teenagers out there taking video, lots and lots of pictures, incidentally, all using different uh, uh, Apple products to, to take the pictures. Oh, uh, oh, I understand that the father has compiled them and sending all the pictures to, to, to uh, Apple to see what, what they want to do about it. But yeah, it's a, it's a heck of an endorsement. I mean, um, yeah. it was pretty cool to bring that out and have it work. The second phone I pulled out uh, didn't go quite so well, but the guy did dry it out, and uh, it was a Droid. Uh, I think it was a Motorola Droid of some sort. That one, that one's uh, still still kicking pretty good. Last I heard, the uh, third one I was not able to locate. I don't know. I spent um, 25 minutes down there looking for that phone, and had pretty good visibility when I went down initially. I mean, I had probably 15 foot vis. I should have seen it. And I didn't see it, and I mucked for it, and I was finding the same cans and broken bottles over and over. So you think I'd have found it, but didn't find the, the didn't find the third phone. Um, then went out and did an ice dive out in the uh, the Oxbow over in Saugatuck. There's a shipwreck over there. Um, had good ice, 
but the uh, visibility was real bad. Um, the hole we cut was not right on the wreck, and there's quite a bit of entanglement in that lake. Didn't really feel like doing a lot of, you know, searching around and less than five foot visibility and only less than 10 feet of, feet of water. So we just had a nice dive checking out the local features. Um, still had a good time. Oh, the one you didn't go on is the one I would have enjoyed going with you, though. You know, well, you know the one I'm talking about? The airplane on Murray Lake? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that we were just talking about that. I mean, there was an, an active recovery going on on that one. And, um, you know, some of us were kind of joking about doing that. But, uh, you know, we don't want to get, get getting in the way of the pros out there. So. Well, I I know uh, being on the other side of the the coin, we've actually guarded uh, plane wrecks until the FAA gets there. So I know they're they're pretty serious on some of that stuff. Okay. Well, that that Murray Lake that would have been no joke though. That would have been a really tough dive. Um, I was talking with the guy about it, and uh, we we were just joking about it. We weren't actually going to do it, but just but. There was uh, a possibility of some divers being involved with that recovery, but uh, it was about 100 feet deep where that plane was, and current, because I guess it's on a reservoir, and the bottom there is all full of log jams and all kinds of entanglement. Uh, So if the plane had gone through the ice, it would have been a, a hook and grab, would not have been a, you know, much of a recovery at that point. Um, the plane was recovered, and the um, it, it's kind of sad the way it looked after they recovered it there, but they got it out of the water. So, did it, had it fallen all the way through the ice? No, I don't believe so. But I, it looked like the uh, plane sustained a fair amount of damage in the process of uh, pulling it out. Looked like the uh, wings were broken. Um, shots I saw were like like on the front. And I had a little bit of video clip there. So It's got a picture of it. You can see the tail sticking up, the top ribs of the body, and the wings are what prevented it from going all the way down. The wheels and the engine were underwater. Mm-hmm. That's a fabric-covered yeah. aircraft, so it, it was pretty much uh, destroyed. Yeah, a friend of mine, Jason Blair, um, he was kind of looking at it a little bit there, and his opinion on it there was uh, between the electronics and the mechanicals and everything, um, it it wasn't going to be salvageable, but it was pretty sad. Now, he had skis on, and what he was doing was taking off, and he obviously hit a place that was really thin. That airplane does not weigh 1,300 pounds with you in it. So it was pretty thin ice. But then again, when you're out in the middle and you're wet, it's really nice that kayaker came out and rescued the old guy on top of the uh, wing. Yeah, he definitely lucked out. He definitely lucked out with that. What was the story behind him ditching it in the lake? Well, he, you, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to land on the ice. And he had oh, the skis, so. so it wasn't a big issue. And it's a light aircraft. And normally, 
you're going to be able to do that. Cause it's not, I mean, if you've got any kind of, if you can hold a car, you can definitely hold that airplane because it's mm-hmm. a lot lighter than a car. And but, uh, couldn't he hold landed it. <laughs> there. So it must've been good when he landed, but not when he took off. Ah, Well, they said the ice where he went through was only about two inches, two inches thick. So, you know, when you've got current in there, of course, you're going to have, you know, different areas where it's eddying and, and swirling and who knows what as far as uh, eating, eating away at the ice. Mm-hmm. Not a dive I would have cared to make, even if it had been legal. But, you know, having an active recovery going on out there, that's really not something for... That's amateurs to play with. Well, it looks you, like, have another, you have another nice dive on a shipwreck. Uh, well, the one about the, the Condor there and the Oxbow? Yeah. Yeah, well, the, the visibility was really bad there, though. Um, and the, the hole we cut was not right on the on the wreck. And there's so much entanglement stuff down there that we decided not to do an awful lot of hunting for the boat down there. Um, you know, the viz was only about five feet, which was just kind of surprising because, heck, the, the ice was seven inches thick. I mean, just could not understand why the visibility was so bad in that lake. So, but we ended up right where the hole was cut was on top of one of the collapsed houses. And we spent some time kind of poking around down there. Um, we got a lot of these... Uh, these buildings that were at the end of piers for processing fish back around the turn of the century. And eventually they, they, you know, collapsed and fell down into the lake. And we were right on top of one of them when we cut the hole. It was kind of an interesting thing to check out. So. What do you got planned coming up? The... Hello, what was that? What have you got planned coming up? Uh, getting caught up on my sleep. <laughs> Work's been hurting me pretty bad lately, so uh, I don't have any ice dives coming up. Um, of course, you know, if the phone, if the ice improves, I might go back out. Uh, you know, we got this big warm spell right now we're in the middle of, so it's looking like uh, you know not going to have any decent nights. You know, well into next weekend. So I mean, the following weekend. So. Now, did anybody ever recover the phone lost at Pleasant Lake? Pleasant Lake, yeah, that, that's the one that I couldn't find. Oh, Edwardsburg. So you did go to that one? Then. Yeah, I did go there. Okay. Yeah, that, that's why I couldn't find. Yeah, I can I, I can mean, understand why you didn't find it. The muck out there is horrendous. I mean, and deep. Well, the, the problem I was having was that the uh, there was so much stuff in the muck, um, you know. And I, and really, the, the bottom wasn't that soft. It was there's enough substance to it that I'm pretty sure the foam would have been visible. And I had 15 foot visibility, so I went around quite a bit looking for it. And you know, b- before I started mucking, and then once I started mucking, you know, I'm wrist deep in the stuff, but I was pulling up all kinds of stuff, um, you know cans and old broken bottles and lots of branches and you know i traced i I chased everything i touched and uh did not find a phone so 
Well, you give it a good old college try. Yeah, give it a look. And I see the pictures that you posted on the the aircraft with the wings bent. That was uh, from Eric. He found that one. Oh, wow. Wood Wood TV. Uh, They're asking what type of plane was that? Is it a Cub? No, that was a, oh, heck, what did I just say that was? A a Piper? No, it's like a Cub, but it isn't. It's got a unique name for it, and I just cannot think of what it was at the moment. (laughs) I I I distracted you. A senior moment here. Well, while you're thinking of that, we'd like to thank WRVO Radio for putting us on the air another year. If you like hunting, fishing, or the great outdoors, you'll want to listen to WRVO Radio, uh, Reno Viola Outdoors. Uh, Go ahead and do a Google search. You can uh, listen to them. They have an app. Uh, Look in iTunes or on Google Play. Uh, Also, if you like to follow us, you can visit our Facebook page, www.scubaobsessed.com. I'm sorry, that's our website, uh, facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. We're on Twitter at scubaobsessed. Uh, let's see, any anything else? And once again, we already thanked uh, Vanessa, but we'd like to thank all our uh, Patreon supporters. So once again, if you haven't donated, why not? If you can give us a little bit of help. Uh, we've been slowly improving the podcast, adding more electronic equipment, getting ready to do some video for you coming up here pretty soon, and certainly appreciate it. That aircraft, by the way, is an American Legend Cub AL-3 Charlie, and it oh, basically okay. looks just like a Cub. And Dave is saying there's still room in the classes at Wolf. So this is Thursday the 19th. That class is January 21st, 2017. Uh, Wolf's Diver Supply. You can call them up and get registered for that class. Then uh, they've got a threefer if you want to do all three of them. they got a good package deal. Let's see. Oh, and I missed the, uh, did we have the mud club meeting this week? Yes, we did on Tuesday. Oh, I missed that. I was, uh, I was building robots. Well, I was playing Uber driver to Ann Arbor, so I missed it also. Oh, you missed it also. Oh, I was, I was there. Well, tell us about it. Did you guys go out to lunch after or to supper? Yeah, we went down to AJ's up for, for dinner afterwards. Was it still noisy? No, actually, pretty quiet. They didn't have any music going on, so uh, put us back in the room where the band usually is. It was, you know, easy night. Well, hopefully, we get some weather here. We'll get some ice building, and that will be some some local diving going on. Yeah, as of right now, you know, with, with all the warmth, it's hard to say the condition of the ice. I know that. I was coming across pretty consistent six or seven inches, um, enough to work the chainsaw pretty good, actually. Um, you know, but then we're looking at, you know, nine days consecutive of, you know, well above freezing and some days into the 50s even. It's going to hurt it pretty good. Yeah. 
And the days are getting a little longer, at least the daylight. Uh, more more daylight than we have been having. So uh, time to start thinking about spring and getting your dive plans all organized. Uh, any predictions on when we'll have the first wreck dive in Lake Michigan? Don't run March. out. March. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say March. Yeah, March. I think if anybody's going to do it, it'll be Kevin in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we, Bob Sweeney, Jim Kleeman, and myself and Kurt, uh, we did, I think, my first rec dive ever, I think, was a March rec dive. Well, then we're going to have to go in February. <laughs> well, if you got an outboard motor, you probably can. Yeah, uh, that's what what, I got. What's the what's the big lake looking like, Mac? When you've been out in the plane and any ice out on it? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Well, that makes it a little tougher. <laughs> so, yeah, well, if we keep not, up this weather, like we'll 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 have uh, we might have it. Uh, we're pretty early. There's been some years where it's been way into April before you can even hope to get out there. Well, you you can get out, and if you went left, you can do a pure dive. And I would yeah. do pier dive. Oh, pier, pier dives are fine. We've and we've done that quite a bit. Uh, I've done I've done those. When I think I did that one with. Uh, did you go with me that one time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the one time where I about drove drove the the golf cart into the lake. Yeah, I think that was. Oh yeah, I off. remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we almost had a salvage project. <laughs> Yeah, the the uh, they were they had construction crews in the pier, and they had let us use their golf cart. And you know, I, I I always consider myself a pretty good golf cart driver, but when you look backwards, but you have it in forwards, and you hit the gas, that's uh, not a good thing. Luckily, the wheel went off, and it prevented us from from going in. <laughs> but we'd have got another dive out of it, though. Oh yeah, oh yeah, double. I'm sure. And never lived it down. No, I, I wouldn't have. Yeah, those are some stories, man. Gosh. Oh, I, I had forgotten about that. <laughs> and then the other the other time I almost hung myself out in the pier wall because I got, I was climbing down the ladder and I had the dive light in my hand and the dive light fell over the other rung. And the way the ladders are on the pier is that it's not, rungs all the way to the water. It's only like the top four. So I didn't have any rungs under my feet. The the dive light went on one side of it, so I'm suspended by one hand uh, about four feet above the water. I'm trying to think of how I'm going to get out of that one. That's another good reason. You should never have anything on you. You can't cut or release somehow. I had it, I had it on my wrist so it wouldn't fall off, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what I did. I I, I think I, I can't remember if I held myself. I think I held myself up with my other hand and then just worked the, the light around. But, yeah, that, that uh, could have been an interesting one. Sounds like it was. Yeah, maybe. Better memory I could take. What we talked awesome about. Learned. Yes. Well, do you have anything you want to plug, Mac, before we get... Moving on to the bad scuba d- joke. No, I think we did pretty good. Uh, next week, though, we'll pick up and then I'll do a 
safer diving, always call it's called always have a backup plan. So we'll have that for next week. What yeah, you want to plug? Yes, I want to encourage all listeners to uh, support your local dive shops. We always like to get those deals online, but those deals online aren't going to service your regs or fill your scuba tanks. Also, uh, support your local libraries. Use them. Um, They are a marvelous resource for information. Um, I had to spend some time out at the the Richland Public Library doing a little bit of research this week, and a marvelous place, wonderful staff. Use your libraries. They are awesome people up there. And I'd also like to do a shout-out to Jim Billings, who's been keeping up on our website, so thank you for doing the posts. And a belated birthday. It was his birthday yesterday. Uh, so happy birthday, Jim. And I once again want to thank, 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 have another drink, thank the chat room. So thank you. It's, it's nice to see people in the chat room get that working again. And like I said, we'll, we got some new things coming up, so keep an eye out. By the way, I just found that post. Lost and found, legendary Lake Michigan shipwrecks is on March 21st. March 21st. Okay. And that's in Coloma? Yes, and that happened to be on a club meeting night. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, wait I, a minute, that's my club I meeting think night. Pretty well, don't they? Don't they? It seems like we've missed club meetings to go and do presentations there before. Well, so we did that. They we had them on Thursday, and I believe that was when we oh. went and saw the ones on the archaeology. But that is the North Berrien Historical Museum in Coloma, March twenty-first. Okay. So hold on, everybody. Here we go. A cowboy appears before St. Peter's at the pearly gates. Have you ever done anything of particular merit, St. Peter asked? Well, I can think of one thing, the cowboy offered. On a trip to Black Hills in South Dakota, I came upon a gang of bikers who were threatening this young woman. I directed them to leave her alone, but they wouldn't listen. So I approached the largest and most tattooed biker and smacked him in the face kicked his bike over, ripped out his nose ring, and threw it on the ground. I yelled, now back off or I'll kick the shit out of you. St. Peter was impressed. When did this happen? Uh, a couple minutes ago. Okay, that's good. <laughs> there you go. At least that turned out good for him. Yeah, <laughs> he, he had a good story to tell. Ouch. So on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And have a good time doing it. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.